Sing us the song of your people. Why, hello there. Welcome and thanks for listening to Stempersode 11 of the Where Are We podcast. I am Blaze Runner Goldthorn, but everybody just calls me Blaze, of course. I uh, kind of had to step up and play host for this episode. As for his effort in Azumi, um, well, it looks like he's a bit tied up and gagged and shoved under the table. But uh, <laughs> I promise we'll get somebody on that to let him out. Before we get into the main episode, I just wanted to put a quick shout out about how and when to reach out for us. First of all, if you see any one of us crew members out there in one of the various Therian communities online, always feel free to reach out. We don't bite. Unless bitten first, of course. You can always leave some feedback on the podcast platform of your choice, if you like. Or if you want to send us more detailed questions, feedback, suggestions, or whatever, always feel free to email at wherearewepodcast at gmail.com. This episode, we're digging into the introduction for one of our recurring segments, Parenting and Therianthropy. I don't know how this happened, but we got started on this idea of having a parenting, Therian's parenting segment and what have you not, started developing behind my back. And then the next thing I know, it drops in my lap and I'm to lead the intro for it. Go figure, right? Kind of like cubs, you, never, you don't always expect they're coming and they just suddenly drop in your lap. right so that's what's happening with this uh parenting and therianthropy segments we're just going to revisit this topic from time to time just kind of look at some of the issues that are unique to therians that we experience that come out other people generally do not joining us for the introduction of this segment i have a friend of mine sam all right so where do i begin so throughout, I guess, my life, I had never, I had never wanted kids, human kids anyway. Gotcha. And so when I got, when I got pregnant, I was really young. I think I was, I was 18 when I got pregnant. I had him when I was 19. Mm-hmm. So I was young and just stupid. <laughs> and... When I found out that I was pregnant, I had a lot of mixed emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess the main emotion was fear. It, I was just so like, oh my God, like, what have I done? Um, how am I going to tell my family and, you know, all that stuff? It was honestly just like a roller coaster of emotions. Like, Sometimes I was, so before, before even then, I, I had been dealing with like depression and anxiety for like, since I was in my teens. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of, kind of made it worse. Like I would have a lot of days where I was just like really depressed. I didn't want to get out of bed. And then I would have days where I'm like, well, if, you know, this is happening and maybe I should just accept it. So it was just, it was just up and down constantly until, until my son was born. And I feel like, so he was born with an issue 
that I forgot what it's called. Basically, he when I gave birth to him, I couldn't even hold him. Like they had to take him to the intensive care there at the children's hospital. And I don't know, I always feel like maybe that had something to do with it. I wasn't able to hold him for a month, maybe a little bit over a month. Born really prematurely or something, or was just some kind of... Uh, He was born with his intestines out. Oh, good lord. Yes. So, um, yeah, it, it was really hard. I don't doubt it. It was it was hard to see him that way. It was hard, you know, to not get to hold him, you know, like mothers typically experience. He was just in this this box with all these tubes and stuff hooked to him and there was just like nothing you can do <laughs> except, you know, just just wait. That must have been terrifying. It was and I I had a lot of guilt for it. Why guilt? I I had a lot of guilt. Well, the doctors, so before he was born, you know, I already knew that he was going to have this problem because, I mean, they had seen it. So at what point do you feel like your therianthropy started to really impact your relationship with your son? Kind of a little bit in the beginning. So my anxiety kind of plays a big role. So my therianthropy kind of like feeds off my anxiety sometimes. Does that make sense? No, I think that makes sense. I think um, a lot of Therians draw a strong correlation between feelings of anxiety and experiencing their theriotype reaction. Right. Right. So a lot of us experience ourselves as very nervous, anxious animal. So that that's perfectly understandable. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, just constant anxiety. And when I get like that, my first reaction is to just hide and just get away and just be alone, you know? If that fails, what happens next? So if I'm not able to escape what it is that is making me so anxious, the next step is that I get irritable. Okay, so let me, let me go a little bit back. So, okay, so after, like, a month or whatever, I was able to hold him and stuff. Yeah. Um, he still had to be in the hospital, but, you know, I could hold him and, and what whatnot. And when I did hold him, it wasn't, like, it wasn't um, a very joyful experience. Like, I was so anxious. I would shake, like, uncontrollably. No. I would just, like want to cry and just like I don't know it was just it wasn't a pleasant experience for me and I just kind of like would think like you know why why isn't this like why don't why do I feel this way like why don't I feel like happy you know Mm -hmm. uh why don't I feel that like that nurturing that unconditional love type thing all I feel is just like just just negativity, right? And I just I didn't understand it, and it was just so it was so conflicting because I had to. It was all okay. It was also conflicting because I had to be in a strange place. Um, you know, I had to be in the hospital a lot, and I around a lot of different people 
So that just kind of like, that just made it so much worse. I don't doubt it. You know, no privacy. Yeah, exactly. You're not on your own territory. Mm-hmm. You're already a nervous critter to begin with, and you've got this to deal with as well. Right. Yeah, it was, ooh. <laughs> like, even just thinking about it now, like, triggers my anxiety. I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> well, let's move past part of the story then, when you finally got him home. So then a couple of nights before we brought him home, what mm-hmm. what happens is they have you spend the night there and just kind of like they give you a rundown of what to do. You know, they they see how, you know, you're doing with him or whatever. Yeah. And so the first night I was fine. The second night I started to notice little things about myself. Like one example is I was asleep and I was I was dreaming, I guess. But I was like, you know, half awake, half asleep. And I could hear him crying, but my brain just did not process it. It just like was just like noise. There's noise. <laughs> and I'm I'm a very like I'm very grumpy <laughs> when I'm tired. Mm-hmm. And I just like just started like growling like a lot like I just was just growling and finally I realized like oh he's crying so you know I woke up and did what I had to do and I just kind of like thought about it and I was like mm, well that was weird right so you take him home and I was at the time we were living with my my mother-in-law so it was not like my own place and once again, I felt just uncomfortable. You know, everybody wanted to, to see him. Yeah, of course, right. And in my mind, I, I don't know, I was just really overwhelmed because everybody was just there. This wasn't my place, even though, you know, we were living there at the time. It just, it didn't feel like home. It felt like I was just in somebody, somebody else's house. <laughs> like. <laughs> And then I have, you know, the baby and uh, it just, you know, once again, my anxiety just started to just build up and build up. So at night, and I I feel like this is because of, um, you know, his issue when he was born, but he would not sleep like at all. He would cry constantly all night. Oh, awful. And I just... I did not get any sleep. <laughs> like, oh. I mean, I was going like like weeks without good sleep, you know? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> but when I don't get sleep for, um, you know, that long. Oh, that really, that's really, really damaging to mental function. It is. Oh, yeah. It is terrible. It's right up there with starvation and thirst. It just totally messes with your brain. It, it got so bad, it got so bad that I would hallucinate. Yeah, that's bad. I would hear people talking to me, and there's, like, nobody there. I would hear, like, I would see things moving around that, obviously, they didn't move around. And it was just, like, I was just, like, losing it. Mm-hmm. And it just did not help that. So my my husband's family... And my family, they just did not get it. Like, right. Um, they were just like, you know, why why are you 
reacting this way, you know, and I mean, I couldn't give them an answer. <laughs> like, I don't, I just, I, I don't know. I was just overwhelmed <laughs> and they just didn't get it. <sighs> I remember this, uh, well, a whole bunch of other stuff happened, but I'm, I'm just going to skip that because this will make it too long. <laughs> but so one night he was crying, you know, and I was half awake, half asleep. And again, it just processed in my mind as noise. And I just like snapped, like not, not at him, even though like I thought I did. I just, I guess in my like dream state, like I just growled and just like snapped. And what woke me up was that he kind of like uh, started like screaming and I woke up and I was just like, oh my God, like, what did I do? You know, but it was just a dream. Like, I didn't actually do anything. But you thought for a minute that you bit him or something? Yeah, yeah. I thought that I had, like, bit him. And, I mean, that wasn't, like, the first experience. Well, that was the first experience where I actually, like, thought that I bit him. But, you know, prior to that, it was just mostly, like, just me growling and just, like, you know. But it just really, like, scared me. And after that, I was just like, I just, I can't do it. I can't do it. I felt like either he was going to get hurt or I was going to hurt myself at that point. Wow. So I ended up like calling my mom and I was just like, I just told her like, I can't do this. Like take him or, you know, I'll give him to somebody, but I just, I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. Like I was just, I don't know. I was over, I was just beyond overwhelmed. Right. Reached a breaking point. Yeah, I was exactly. And so she took him. Um, she didn't expect to take him. Okay, so we had a little miscommunication. <laughs> so when I was talking to her, she told me, she told me, okay, I'm going to take him, but you know, you're, you're not going to just take him back. And I was like, okay, you know, that's fine. And then here we are years later, and he's still been living there. <laughs> but Honestly, you know, a lot of people would probably see that as a bad thing and call me, like, a bad mother. But at the time, like, I just feel like I did what I had to do to keep him safe and to keep me safe. Well, I would personally agree with that. Like, when you have an issue that escalates to the point of complete mental breakdown like that, something has to change. And when there's a young life at stake boy, oh boy, you better hope that you've made the right decision. So if I were placed in that situation, I probably would have done the same thing, no matter, even though it must have been a really hard decision. It was, it really was. And I felt like, even now, like, I still feel a lot of guilt for it. Like, even now, I question, like, why was it like that? I feel like a lot of it had to do with just, like, my mental health was just not good. Mm Mm-hmm at the time but then I also feel like it did have something to do with me being Therian as well just because I've never in my life never felt like maternal instinct towards human kids and I've always like when it comes to like baby animals you know like puppies kittens so on like instant instant like maternal instincts just like kick in Mm -hmm. but like human kids just it never never has me you've uh you've gotten him back to some extent to some extent yeah 
Mm -hmm. How is that going for you now that you're working on integrating him back into your life more directly? He's how old now? He is five. He'll be six in uh, September. Right. And how is the reintegration process going for you so far? Um, it's not, it's definitely not easy, but I feel like if we would have tried it any time sooner, it would have been more difficult just because I feel like right now, even though I still like have depression and anxiety, I manage it better than I did when I was younger. I mean, there are still times that I, that it it overwhelms me. Thankfully, uh, I have help and my in-laws have been a little bit more understanding and my husband helps a lot too. So, so we've got a bit more of a support going on now. Yeah. That, yeah. You have a bit more support now than you used to, and you've got more integrity and maturity than you used to. Right. Right. Sounds like things are on the up climb. That's good to hear. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. Well, no one expects it to be all sunshine and rainbows, even under the best of circumstances. Oh, yeah. But I personally chose not to have kids for very much the same reason as the feelings that you were describing. I feel no fatherly instincts towards human kids whatsoever. To me, I just kind of want them to go away, stay away from me. <laughs> but but the minute I see a puppy in particular, or kittens, or small animals in general, but especially puppies, I, I'm just, I'm all over the floor wanting them to crawl all over me and just kiss them and hug them and spend the whole day and night with them. You know, it's just absolutely undeniable difference between the two. Right. Between that and my own tendency to become more aggressive when I feel threatened or, or burnt out or cornered, I just decided a long time ago that I'm just not even going to risk having a kid in my own custody because I'm afraid of what I would do in the worst case scenario. Right. So I'm very fortunate that I managed to escape without having it land on me anyway. But not everybody gets that lucky. Right. (laughs) Okay, so one of the things that I was trying to get across was that I feel like a a sort of disconnection to my son in a way. How do I explain it? You're trying to raise your son, but you don't really see him as your offspring right, right. from an instinctive sense is kind of mm-hmm. what I mean that is that your instincts are not looking at your son as though he is your actual offspring. And there's that what you're, you're calling a disconnect there is that there's kind of a breakdown of communication in your head. Am I following you? Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's funny, actually, because um, like about a month ago, I was talking to my aunt and she knows like, you know, about me and all that. And she was just kind of like asking me, like, you know, how, how was I doing with him? And I told her, like, it's weird. Like, I know, you know, obviously he's my son. But from my perspective, <laughs> I feel like like a canine trying to raise a human child and it's just it's just really different I'm just like trying to figure figure him out and I feel like a lot of it has to do with um my instincts as far as like how I feel I should be mothering him like there's a kind of like conflict there for example like when he was a baby um I didn't really want to hold him and 
it was partly due to the anxiety thing, but it was also just because it was just weird. <laughs> like, you know, um, you know, that I have a puppy and I don't hold her all the time. You know, I don't feel the need to hold her. So I, I just didn't feel the need to hold him either, <laughs> if that makes sense. I don't know, just like a lot of like what I should be doing as a as a human mother just isn't clicking. There's always that like conflict between the the canine side of myself and, you know, the human as far as that goes. Right. So you're kind of having to consciously overprint your own instincts in order to make sure he gets the right response. Right. I'm trying, I'm trying to picture what that must feel like and I'm just I'm, I'm not getting it really because I've never <laughs> I've always kind of avoided human kids mm-hmm. and I've never had kids never wanted kids so I think right. it's really I think it's really important to have people talking about these experiences because it's going to happen to somebody else guaranteed mm-hmm. can you give like maybe can you think of any other examples like on day-to-day type little examples of how this disconnect actually shows up in your interactions with them uh, one big thing so you know he's a kid he does things that he shouldn't be doing <laughs> yeah. and my initial reaction is to kind of like you know how like mother mother dogs they kind of like like growl or snap at their their young yeah. <laughs> that's like what I want to do is just be like to stop the behavior and you know I mean obviously I wouldn't do that but that knee-jerk reaction is there every time before you can even think about it Right. Mm-hmm. What about the the play interactions and the other stuff? That's definitely. Um, so that's kind of another point. I feel I find that part of the reason why I'm struggling to like build a bond with him, I guess, is because I I'm pretty clueless on how I should interact with him, like in play and stuff. Like even when I was younger, like. I mean, I had toys and stuff, but I wouldn't, I wasn't very interested in them and I would, I wouldn't play with them the way like typical kids do. Right. And so it's just like, it's hard for me to get down to his level. And, you know, I would like, I would like to, to play with him and stuff, but in my own way. And I just feel like I'm not able to. So again, there's that breakdown of communication between what your instincts are telling you should be happening and what logical reasoning shows you is actually happening. And you kind of have to figure out a way to bridge the gap. Yeah, it's definitely something that um, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. But uh, yeah, it definitely needs some work. So in a sense, is it almost like there's a degree of fragileness with a human baby that you just don't expect? Like, so you've got a, a, a 10-week-old puppy now. Does it feel more natural to be able to kind of roughhouse and play in that kind of way? Um, because you don't, like, human babies are much more fragile. So is that part of the disconnect there? Yes, exactly. You know, with um, with my puppy, uh, I mean, you know, she's young, but she loves to roughhouse. And that's something that I'm used to and feels more natural to me than, you know, sitting down and playing, like, with toys. Right. So he's been um, gradually starting to spend more time with you in the past few months. I mean, I'm even in the past, like I met you a year ago. And at that point, your son was still spending most of his time with your mom. Can you lay a paw on any particular turning point where you started to feel like you were ready to take on some more active role with him? Uh, this might come off as like 
wrong but for me it was mostly uh, I just felt like a lot of guilt because this was this isn't something that just like affected me it affected a lot of people like my mom having to take him and then after she took him she had uh, she had to quit her job and move in with my grandma and it just affected a whole bunch of people and I held a lot of guilt for it but for a long time I still wasn't ready and then finally you know I, I decided that I was a little more mentally and emotionally stable to take on the responsibility and also a lot of it had to do with uh, my husband since you know that's his son and he you know even though he allowed me to hand him over to my mom it, it affected him a lot and he's always you know wanted to get him back so that also uh you know influenced my my decision to go ahead and try to work him back into our lives gotcha you think of anything else um well there's one thing that i did want to point out was that um you know even my experience i guess it wasn't you know it was a negative experience it might not be like that for for other therians i i've read other, uh, some other people's experiences and they say that they feel that being therian actually makes them better as parents mm-hmm. so you know this is just my own personal experience i think so i think that's all i really wanted to add to that how old is your your son he's five right now okay um have there been moments that you've had to kind of communicate with your son that hey you know i just kind of need some time to do my own thing um it's like bear when he experiences like mental shifts he he kind of has to let his kids know hey you know i just need a moment to myself as far as that's concerned yeah um i don't exactly tell him like what's going on i'll just i usually just come up with an excuse like um i'll tell him you know i'm busy or you know i'm tired you know just go play i'll Fair you know, be out in a minute you know kind of thing yeah, he's still a bit young to to fully understand what's going on yeah i'm hoping that you know when he gets older i'll be able to explain things Jeez, that's another point that would have completely gone over my furry head if you hadn't said that <laughs> what thoughts do you have on how open you're going to be with your son about theory entropy as he gets older um i mean i don't have a problem with being open about it when he's more capable of understanding you know mm-hmm. um right now which is another thing i i tend to have to like suppress um you know my myself basically <laughs> just because he's still in custody of, with my mom and my mom even though she knows about it she's not very accepting about it and i don't want there to be a an issue um, since, since, you know, we're trying to get him back. So, I mean, once we have him back and he's a little bit older, I don't have a problem with saying like, Hey, you know, just sit, sit him down and just kind of explain things to him. Um, or maybe, I don't know, um, maybe he'll come to me and ask. I do think it's still an interesting, uh, conversational point to have because uh, I know with teenagers, we, we see a lot that they almost feel like they're obligated to tell their parents what they're experiencing, even if even if it's not actually a good timing, uh, not appropriate situation for it or anything else like that too. So I understand it's difficult from your perspective, but it's also probably going to be very helpful for other people to realize that, yeah, it's not it's not necessarily something that you just throw out there and people, you know, there's a time and a place for it. So I, I respect that approach. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially when there's young lives at stake that can be affected by any decision you make. It, uh, it makes everything that much more crucial. Oh, yeah. 
you know, I would say for those that 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 feel the way we do, <laughs> um, just from my experience, I would definitely say just just don't. Like if if you feel that way now, more than likely it's not going to change. <laughs> so just just don't. <laughs> And for those who do find themselves feeling these this way towards human kids, but they're in a parenting situation anyway, what would you suggest? Um, well, right now what has helped me is, like I said, you know, I have at least the support. Like, I remember last, even just like last week, he was here and I was just, my anxiety was through the roof. And I was just, I was not feeling it. I was just like not, not feeling it. You know, it might sound bad to some people, but I just kind of like avoided him unless, you know, I had to like feed him and bathe him and, you know, all the, the necessary care basically. Yeah. And my, my sister-in-law just, she was the one that like really played with him and stuff. And I just kind of like stayed in my room because I just felt like I had to, um just keep away (laughs) like I was just not in the right frame of mind to deal with him you know what I mean so I would just say like you know if you feel that way it's okay to just step away (laughs) find ways of compensating for it work around yeah well I personally applaud you and give you paw hugs for doing such a good job of protecting his best interests in such a horrible situation and that was incredibly difficult to deal with especially in a situation where you felt like you didn't have a lot of support at the time you are one tough wolf dog kudos oh thank you (laughs) i try i try (laughs) all right well if that's it thank you so much for coming sam maybe we'll check in on with you again sometime in the future and see how things are going with you and your son awesome thank you for having me also joining us for a discussion, Iron Paws. Hello. And we have Wolf Van Zant. Hello. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm well. We opened up this segment as a means of developing a bridge for people to talk about varying parenting experiences because it's a recurrent issue and it's an issue that is difficult to get support for. So we just kind of wanted to open up the table and with that i'm just gonna kind of just throw this out here and let you guys start talking well you know i can um i can get talking a little bit about my own experiences of being a. let's get started with the bear because zeph actually already mentioned you once oh did he <laughs> okay he routed you out oh all right well so <laughs> i can um i can certainly speak to the the kids that i had i uh you know i i wondered when they were incubating, um, what they would be like, if they would be Therians or, or not. And, uh, my kids aren't, um, they don't really show any of the kind of tendencies that I would expect. Um, but they are very interested in nature and wildlife and they never had a problem with my theory anthropy. I've always been open with them, always been honest about it. You know, when I would roughhouse with them, it was, uh, in a very sort of bearish way. Um, they they were exposed to that from a very early age. I 
never made it a secret, as I said. Um, and they never really had any questions about it either. A few times my youngest, when he would be angry with me, he'd be like, you're not a real bear. It's like, well, okay. It's that's, that was his version of, I hate you, you know? Um, uh, yeah. Cause he, they know your weak points and they're going to yeah, stab you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But what I will say is in relationship to the earlier discussion about some of the difficulties that I was of two minds because the human side of me, very much an interested parent, very much wanting to do things. The bear side of me, wanted nothing to do with them. They were annoying and uh, just a, a pain in the rear the whole time. And finding the balance between those two, allowing myself to experience that need to be alone that I feel comes from my bear side, while also nurturing the human side was a real struggle. And uh, I think if I had to guess, most wolves probably have an easier time of it. And I would be very interested in hearing whether or not that is the case. Uh, I would say from my perspective, yes. Um, if anything, I have a draw to that isolationism uh, aspect of it, that introversion aspect of it uh, from my human side more than side and that could be create a conflict in me at times uh, between the Therian side and the human side but uh, I adore my daughter when we when we made the decision that we were only going to have the one uh, for the reasons that were that are still very sound to this day um, that really was a stab in my heart in a lot of different ways um, and we've talked certainly about adoption and things like that too but at the same time you know seeing the seeing the growth the evolution the change, it, it becomes very easy, it becomes very natural. I, I want to spend time with her many times. I enjoy uh, having that opportunity to it. And then, like I said, you know, kind of the human comes in and it's like, well, what about work? What about this? What about that? You know, I got to take care of the yard work, all the mundane things you have to do on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, kind of just like, no, let me do my thing here. And, you know, getting that tug of like, no, you need to be more involved. You need to engage more. Uh, so trying to find that way to engage and keep that independence. I think probably one of the strangest things that I've tried to explain at times is the way I approach rearing is very much like uh, very, very firm walls. There are boundaries you do not cross in a discussion. If you try to cross them, you get bit. Um, not literally, but uh, in, in, in essence. Um, but within those spaces, it's pretty free reign. <laughs> um, and uh, we give her a lot of latitude uh, in, in that. And I can safely say that, you know, if I, if I put my paw down, she stops, period. And uh, it's usually the big things that, that'll, that'll happen in that situation. So I don't think of myself as a big, big bad grump. Uh, but at times, apparently, I am. <laughs> so. So do you, you feel like it's um, the inner, the wolf side of you that's really helping to drive your parenting more so than the human side? Is is that a, fa a fair uh, assumption to make? I, I think that that's, I think it, mm, it tips the balance a little bit. Uh, I, you know, is, a, is, I wanted, I wanted children. Um, that was a, a decision, you know, in the human mind as well. Uh, so it was never a question of that. It was how engaged as a parent do you be? And if anything, I, I try to get, you know, if I get too disengaged in some way, shape or form, and, you know, th th there's times that that is, like, there's some things she wants to do that I just don't care about. Um, but then that draw, you know, kind of comes back and it's, you know, kind of almost like a whimper in the back of my head. Like, mm -hmm. no, you need to be engaged. <laughs> 
Yeah, gotcha. Uh, yeah, I would say that my experience is very similar to to Blues in that I always kind of knew that I wanted wanted to have kids, pups, cubs, whatever you want to call them. And I find that a lot of my communication, I, I joke in that saying that I'm I'm using a human human translator program on top of, of, of myself when wolves try to figure out and is always kind of projecting through that filter. And as a in parenting I feel that filter slips a lot and I find myself both mentally processing more in the line of the way a wolf would raise a child uh, of their own. I mean, I growl and I grumble and everything else and and I and sometimes I would even surprise myself and and at their reaction I'm like, why are you getting upset? This is normal. I'm just barking. I'm not like really mad at you. But they're like deeply disturbed. And so I'm like, oh, oh, that came out wrong. I didn't use words that time. Whoops. And yeah, you can come off as the big bad wolf. I'm like, just because I'm baring my teeth doesn't mean I'm truly upset. It's just that's the warning. Yeah, I, I agree with that in, in full. And in that it, it, not a, it's not an overreaction. It's just it's the natural. It's natural. But it catches attention, definitely. <laughs> right. And, and I mean, ultimately, we're. We're, we're both, right? We have you know, one paw in each world and we're still human. And our kids have human brains and human bodies and the human body language is diff- fundamentally different from the language of an animal um, in, in some respects. There's a lot of similarities too, but the way we use our facial expressions are just notably different. Um, just like a, something as simple as a smile. I don't smile with my teeth. And my, and my kids are picking up that habit. And I'm seeing that and I'm realizing that my wolf is teaching them how to interact with the world in the way a wolf would and then watching them try and learn learn how to interact with other human kids and realizing like oh oh uh especially the the, the younger one the three and four year olds like no you can't you can't growl you can't bark you can't bite <laughs> keep your claw like like it's like oh gosh i keep i gotta teach them how to be human for a minute here oh geez that sounds a bit awkward at times uh, it can because it's been at home, it's fine. It's normal. It's acceptable, and you know. But it doesn't just stay at home; it gets carried with them because they're kids. Yeah, and and they learn. Our oldest, I mean, she's nine, and she's learning how to translate herself. And you know, she, we had a candid moment this morning where she just like, "Hey, Dad, I'm I'm a dragon in a human's body." Just straight up, first thing in the morning, and I'm like, "I'm not even awake. I haven't had my caffeine yet." And I'm <laughs> like, "Oh." Okay. And she's like, maybe after this life's over, I can go back to being a dragon again. And I had to blink for a minute. And I'm like, maybe so. Yeah, I'm waiting for that conversation. I I see similar traits as what I have as a child. And she's getting to the point now that she wants to be more open and trying to explain things that are hard to explain. And I'm sitting here like, yeah, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. And I'll rephrase it in a different way to her. And she's like, I didn't know you. You have felt that way too. I'm like, yeah, I I do. <laughs> you know, feel free to ask questions. Yeah. I mean, we grew up in an era where you kept that stuff to yourselves, right? It wasn't normal or safe to talk about. And they're... Yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure. I mean, they're lucky to grow up in a more transparent world, but also one where, I don't know, it's this balance between sensationalism and attention grabbing and, and, and being truthful to the self, right? They can allow themselves to explore these ideas and concepts without being pinned or set in stone i mean if they turn out to not be therians i'm not gonna hold it against them to me pretend whether it's pretend or it's real it doesn't matter it has equal value i would kind of prefer and i'm kind of glad that mine aren't because 
for me, it was such a struggle that I, I don't know if I, I don't know if, if it would be easier for them to not have to deal with that. Oh, but just wrestling with fitting in. Yeah, and the the difficult feelings that sometimes come with it. Uh, it was interesting hearing you and Blue talk about you know these sort of feelings of family and and the interactions that you had with your children. For me, uh, I mean the the primary cause of cub mortality. One of the primary causes of cub mortality is male bears. They tend to kill and eat cubs. So um, there was a a lot of suppression that went on when uh, when there would be times when punishment or uh, you know no one can get you angry like your family can because they know what buttons to press right and oh, uh, yeah. well, we still try to eat our cubs on a daily basis yeah yeah well this was i mean this was legit sometimes like just i need to walk away and cool it um so you know uh, you you've said before you've ended up having to basically teach some safety protocols into how you handle your kids almost yeah there was there's been a couple of occasions where i've said look you you just i'm not a, i'm not safe to be around right now i'm i'm just i'm too I, I, I'm, I'm just not in the right headspace right and i but i avoided going into detail because i i thought that might be scary and it was mainly when they were much younger not so much anymore. Yeah, so I guess a lot of my Therian experiences have kind of have been a balance of positive and negative and almost more negative. And so I, I think I see it as more of a burdensome thing right. than, a, than a blessing. And that may have something to do with both my stereotype and society. I think that you know, to, to your point, Bear, with, you know, I'm not safe to be around, you know, the, the most effective thing that I've experienced with it, and, you know, Iron Paws may relate to this too, is I just ignore it. I walk away. I have a very stern look on my face. And when that happens, I don't get bothered. It, it's a, a very wolf thing to do. Uh, and it's, you know, a, a sign of dominance type of thing. Um, but it's extremely effective, at least my, my daughter. Oh, uh, the grunt sign walk away technique works sometimes for me. More often than not, I think it's more about uh, educating them on rules of engagement, much like you would approach a, a friend's pet or a dog. Like, like how do you how you initialize conversation or initialize approach to someone who is either unaware of you or you've never interacted with before. You have to, they have to learn that. They don't necessarily start off with that knowledge, right? You know, they don't know to go up and grab a, grab a dog with both hands. Don't do that. Like, so establishing that conversation with them, like, don't approach me from behind. That's, that's a spot. That, it's a blind spot. Don't do that. You know, it, you're going to get me into a defensive position and you're not going to, and having those conversations with them, I, even at a young age with my daughter, I didn't know if she would get it, but she took to it very quickly and very naturally. And honestly, I think a lot of it was because probably our pets around our house did as much to teach her how to walk, you know, how to behave, how to interact with, with other, with other animals and other people as we did. Fascinating. And to circle back on one of Bear's other comments too, about, you know, he's, I won't say happy, but, you know, in a way relieved that it doesn't seem that either of his or our Therians. Uh, I can certainly relate to that. It's it's a tough life, and 
even more so now with the internet because you know it it just takes one good slip up and that information's there forever and you you may have difficulties with that down the road and you know the the i i know that i went through it with trauma of trying to open up to people um in my youth to try to explain what i was going through and having that you know turned as a weapon right back on me um creating a great deal of hesitancy at times uh now from the trauma associated with it seeing someone go through that again someone you love as much as you do with your 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 pups i'm not sure how i'd react to that yeah although with the internet it makes it easier too in some ways because there's this resource that they can use to find out more information and of course in this case their own parents so it isn't like the sort of uh unguided wander through the library trying to figure out what's going on that many of us had in our youth that is a fair point absolutely you know i i tend to deal with the trauma and still processing trauma from you know way back then too so it's it's something that comes to comes to mind and i know my daughter is a very sensitive you know young woman and I think it really does kind of depend on the personalities uh, in that case too. Whereas I know she would have difficulty with that, with betrayal especially. She just she wants to see the good in everybody, um, and that's a wonderful thing. Uh, until that first major, you know, backstab. <laughs> right. I, I think that us growing up that way and dealing with it, we have a unique perspective in how to deal with the situations, cope with them that we've had a lifetime to learn. And I, I don't know that I would wish it on my kids if they end up that way i I won't i wouldn't say that i would be uh, sad or upset and but i would be definitely meet them with open arms and be able to say look you're going to go through some some tough things you're the flavor of bullying you're going to receive if you're open about this is going to be very different than if you wear glasses or have braces it's going to be something completely other but i've been there before you um and i think being able to be that safety net it provides me with some comfort for the future for them. Yeah, that that definitely rings true and sounds like the best approach. Um, but you know, I, that's it's. I would be the same way if my kids came to me and they said, "Hey, you know, I think I think I'm a Therian." I'd be like, "Okay, awesome. Let me help you through it." Mm-hmm. But I I worry that you know they would have to deal with the negative parts that I've had to deal with, and and that's all that. That I would be concerned with. And that's nothing less than a natural parent's worry, I would think. All parents worry about the things their kids are going to go through. Right. I, I would agree with that. I think it, there's, I mean, we had, I think, when, when Barry, you mentioned kind of going when, when they were incubating, was that the word you'd used? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, we, our friends and our family thought it was so odd that we struggled to find a name for our kids at the beginning. And it's because we were spending so much trying time trying to get them and know them before they were born. We're like, we don't even know. Like I, I, it, that seemed like a fundamentally, I don't know if it's a, an American social thing or just a human, human behavior to try and name them and assign this identity to these kids before you even met them. But we started getting these inklings like, well, they could be. So how do we give them a name that would allow them the freedom to explore themselves rather than feeling like we're, pigeonholing them into a certain thing but also a name that's endearing to us like so both of our kids their middle names uh mean wolf in in one language or another but it's not something that they're they're stuck calling themselves in fact actually our oldest 
when our when our son was born, we asked, so "Here, this is the first name. The middle name we haven't decided. Do you want to help us pick?" And one of the names is that this one means wolf, just like your middle name means. And we went through and the meanings of the different ones and said, "What do you want your 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 brother to be?" You know, and get and she and of course it's like I wanted I want him to be a wolf like me at the time. Of course, she was not quite five, so um, it was a very sweet moment for us. Um, and of course, he's turning out to be way more bird-like and cat-like uh, <laughs> in his behaviors and his noises. But that's that's fine. It's fun to watch them grow and mature and change and and uh, evolve. That's a very interesting perspective on the whole naming aspect of parenting. And I had a funny experience with that in the sense that for my entire life, I've kind of resented being named. I've kind of felt like I should have been able to reach a certain age where I earn a name that truly reflects who I am. And this whole cultural thing of getting slapped with something and you're stuck with it for life has always kind of irked me deep down. Yeah, so for me, when I started having my whole theory and awakening process and I started developing that part of my identity, I really latched on to Blaze because it kind of helped me to patch that. I think it's important that, you know, as children go through the evolution of themselves and discovery themselves, um, we are willing to embrace, you know, however they choose to identify, you know, period. Um, mm -hmm. And name is one of those aspects of identification. Um, and I think that's a, it's an important thing to, you know, we may not love it, we may not agree with it, um, but it is their life, it is their existence, it is their identity. We should at least support it and, you know, go down that road. And I think that's an important aspect of it because so many of us have, you know, some sort of handle uh, on the internet um, and we keep certain things masked for good reasons in some cases and not good reasons in others but it's something i think that's important in that case and you know as they however they choose to identify and evolve um to me is a is a key thing with that it shows love in my opinion well you know a lot of societies even have a a, a naming rite or ritual that happens uh when someone reaches a certain age I was going to bring that up. It's kind of like what I felt instinctively was supposed to be happening with me, and it didn't. I actually went through a phase in my early stage of theory and awakening where I became ridiculously obsessed with trying to find my spirit name. Just ridiculously obsessed with the idea that I had this pre-existing name that really truly represented who I was, and if I could just find it, I would feel so much better about myself. And I eventually just ended up settling with Blaze because it just happened. <laughs> it, I can't say that it came from some deity or god. It just kind of evolved between me and my partner at the time and stuck to me like glue. And, and that's okay. You and know, that's that, fine because I'm happy with it. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, like in a lot of traditions, like Bear was indicating, there is points of, you know, of change in life that you would see a name change as well. And, you know, but those are major milestones type of things where you really do have a major pivot in, in that individual's life. So that's kind of what I look for is where's those major pivots and then, you know, see what happens around that. Because it's happened with me. Uh, you know, there's names that I share and there's names that are not shared. Something sacred. Yeah. Yeah. Similar, similar here. And I think that, I mean, a moniker, as we use them, you know, as a, or a handle, it's, 
just like kind of the names that were given, it's it's something that we can use to, to get our attention, but it doesn't necessarily directly represent us. And we've even I've even had uh, conversations with 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 uh, my daughter that look, this is what we gave you. We thought it was a beautiful name. You are not tied to this. If it doesn't fit you, we fully support you exploring different ideas. And when you're old enough to to get it changed, you can do so. I mean, it's in a way like we all grew up with nicknames, right? You know, you end up with these kind of things that that you try on or your friends call you that evolve over time or yeah. short, shortened versions of your initials. Some of those things we attach to more. So I think the letting them be, being a safe place for them to, to say, look, we're not attached to this. We're attached to you and, and your growth and being a safe place for them is, is what we're here to do. Absolutely. And then, you know, just because it's amusing, my daughter, uh, you know, has a, there's a way to shorten her name very easily. And, uh, she is, she's nine now, but for pretty much since five, if anybody outside of this house calls her the shortened name, she will correct them. <laughs> <laughs> we, did you, without thinking about it, and and, and then realizing that you you have you've given them this name, and ra- found out that it's full of growl sounds and other noises a wolf can e- relatively easily make? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that's just my my um my surname period. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, we've got some some hard consonant sounds, some f's, and things that are like uh, a little harder to make out, but. Uh, we we are very growly. <laughs> That's awesome. Is there anyone who hasn't spoken up yet who would like to? I've been listening. I've enjoyed it. Same here. Same here. Was there anything from that discussion that resonated with you or that uh, kind of reflected things that you've heard from other Therians? Oh, which who? Me? Well, I, I sort of... Uh, there was a period when I raised my uh, nephew, and a lot of it did sound. He's not Therian, but he was very pleased with having a werewolf for for a uh, uncle. We got along well. Yeah, and how long how, how long did that uh, interaction last? Like, was it just a once in a while thing? No, um, my brother and his wife was working so much they needed somebody to take care of them during the day. And uh, I was available at that time. So for about, I guess, three years, we went to museums and we went uh, rock climbing and stuff. Cool, cool. So you got the, you got the, all the perks, but none of the negatives. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, the uh, ways of expressing self. I have a, well, my boss in Selma, he had a daughter and she was very hyper, but uh, she liked me a lot. So she hung out in my department a lot. And I was having a back problem one day and she kept trying to jump on my back. And I told her to stop that, that my back was hurting. And she jumped up and grabbed and I, in the lobby, I whirled around and I, I was going to say, get off my back. But what came out? was not words <laughs> and she just froze there and looked like um she had been shocked <laughs> or something and then she turned around and bounced off later on i said uh she i didn't hurt her feelings did i no nah, no nah, she's <laughs> so we do express ourselves in in um sort of non-human ways 
uh, a lot. And I'm sure that kids can uh, take that however they take it. <laughs> well, kids are by nature programmed to be constantly observing the world in a ways that adults no longer are interested in doing. So a kid is definitely going to notice a theory and behavior that we don't think twice of. I, I would agree with that. I think there's, I think they don't have any trouble understanding us. It's just, uh, it can be intense compared to, I would say more conservative, more human-like behavior. Mm -hmm. I think of that, I would be very curious as to, you know, is there a, a difference with European Therians uh, or Eastern Therians uh, in the way they raise uh, kids, just because the Americas definitely have a a particular style about them. Yeah, there's there's cultural elements to raising kids, too, that further complicate the matter. Blackpaws, you mentioned you'd had some uncling experience. Do you want to share anything about that this time, or you want to save it for another time? Uh, yeah, I mean, no, no, nothing too directly relevant that I can think of right now. I'm willing to, willing to save it. Okay, that's fine. My kids love wolf walkers. <laughs> <laughs> it is their new favorite movie. And well, is my daughter favorite, was... It's a favorite game to play. My daughter was bawling its points during that, and my, my mate was looking at me like, you didn't tell me it had this, this was going to be upsetting. I'm like, I didn't see it yet, damn it. Oh, <laughs> it's no, beautiful. She, happy, she was happy at the end. She was happy at the end, but it was like yeah. some of those, there was some tension in there. Yeah. That should pretty much conclude our first episode of the Parenting and Theory Anthropy segment. I want to extend a special thank you to the guests that were with us this time. Senwolf, Iron Paws, and Wolf Van Zandt. Uh, next time, Wolf Van Zandt, if all goes well, will be joining us as we take a kick at our other ongoing segment, Varians Through Time. And now for our segment, Dear Badgie, Stripe Perspectives on Spotted Questions. This one comes from Lance Ironpaws, who asks, Dear Badgie, any advice on tail comfort during COVID-19? I'm already attending meetings wearing, quote, relaxed fit pants, end quote. Thank you, Zoom. But my phantom tail keeps getting bunched up in my office chair. What is a long-tailed Therian to do? Sincerely, Squirmy McSquirm. Well, Squirmy McSquirm, um, do what I do. Just rip or chew the back off your chair and let your tail fly. It'll, uh, you know, it'll really get the point across in the meetings. <laughs> nice one, Storm. <laughs> <laughs> thing is i could see you doing that oh all right kick the craig 